Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we take a break from our current series and bring you a special message from our pastor of student ministries, Dave Cox, and it's entitled, In Case of Emergency. Yes, I'm not Mike Yearly. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. So if you came back, really excited to hear Pastor Mike. He's not here. He's at home faking a cold right now. So give him a really hard time when you see him next week. So I was, I was probably thinking, you guys have been wondering, what has he been doing in Europe all these, you know, all these weeks? He's had to have learned something amazing from God during his time of rest. And, you know, let's, let's hear something. So, uh, it's not Mike here, but I'll give you the next best thing. It's, I have a, a, an excerpt from an email so you can get a little snapshot of, uh, of Mike's journey. So it's just a little quick one. So this is, uh, he says, I'm really struggling with this turning 50 thing. Okay, this is kind of personal, so don't let him know I'm reading this to you. So, um, <laughs> Niels assures me that I'm not old. There's Niels, there you go. Uh, but if you saw me this morning, you'd have to wonder. After leaving Notre Dame, I traveled west. It was still quite dark, and I needed to cross a four-lane street. No one was coming either direction, so I started jogging across the street. Well, technically, I guess you'd say I was jaywalking or actually jay-jogging. But, but that seems the way things are done here. So it's just fitting in, you know. When, when in Rome or Paris, you do as the Parisians do. Anyway, did I mention it was still really dark? That may explain why I didn't see the small center divider separating the lanes. <laughs> and it probably explains why I went sprawling in the middle of the road. I never saw what hit me. The good news is that my old football skills took over, or was it the fire drills in school? I don't know. Anyway, before I knew what happened, and believe me, I was totally confused and blindsided, I had dropped, rolled, and was back on my feet again with only minor pain. Well, except for the embarrassment I felt knowing that there were two men watching from behind. (laughs) But I thought they were probably impressed by my quick recovery, so that really helped. Anyway, I never looked back. Just acted like I do this all the time where I come from. (laughs) The truth is, I never did that before I was 50, so I'm getting a little concerned. Anyway, (laughs) so Mike has a lot to recover from, I think, uh, this week, Um, but he will be back next week. So this morning... um, we're going to jump in. It's not Mike's message, so you're going to notice the bulletin cover doesn't make sense with the outline notes. We're just doing a little different, so I'm filling in this week. Um, and I just want to start with this question. Have you ever uh, had to call 911? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anybody have to do that in here? Okay, a lot of you have. Time of emergency. This is a, a few years ago. I was still a bachelor, and uh, I remember I, I had gone to bed, and so I had fallen asleep, and it was a fall night, so the Santa Anas are blowing. There's this old worn lattice work that's um, attached to this uh, block fence outside, and it was overgrown, so you'd hear the lattice work struggling to support these overgrown vines, and so it would creak in the night. And I'd hear this creaking, and it kind of, you know, makes you fall asleep. So this soothing sound, so I was used to sound when I'd fall asleep. But something woke me up probably around 2.30 in the morning. It's an odd sound, and it's one of those times where you wake up just a little bit. So you're halfway asleep and halfway awake. You know what I'm talking about? So you're just kind of like, what is going on? Like, you heard something, or did you hear something, you're just waking up. And so I just kind of sat there for a second, not moving, just, you know, listening. Then I heard it. There's, there's definitely something at the window. And so I instantly go to full alert. My eyes turn. I don't move my body. I don't want to give myself away. So I just turn my eyes. I'm looking at the window. And there's this light that's on top of the neighbor's garage, so it kind of silhouettes everything. There's just enough light to see. So the light is silhouetting, 
and I see there's a figure right outside my window. And uh, the screen is moving. Okay, it's on. All right, it's on. <laughs> Someone's at the window. Um, now, the, there's these curtains that were pulled, so I could see the, absolutely the shadow, everything. So I drop to my hands and knees real quiet. I have the, there's a raised foundation. I don't want the floorboards to creak. So I go down to my hands and knees, and I start crawling. Um, I get my duty weapon, uh, my uh, Beretta 92F. Felt very secure at that point. Um, <laughs> So I start making my way. So I, now I go down the hallway. I pass uh, two rooms where my roommates were sleeping, and I sneak past. The lights are out, out in the house, and there's a porch light on outside. So I've got concealment and surprise. I like that. <laughs> um, so I'm sneaking through. I get to the den, and as I'm in the den, um, I, I can look out in the backyard to see. I was trying to see over where the window was, and so I'm crouching, and then I see the figure. There's, someone is actually coming right towards the back door. So then I drop way back. Like, I'm, I'm ducking out of the porch light, and I've got my, my weapons at low ready. I'm ready to go. It's pointed right at the ground. So I'm watching, and it's getting really tense, because now he goes right to the back door. He tries again, and then looks right in the window, and then our eyes meet. You know, he could see me just enough, and I'm standing there with my gun down. I'm looking at him, and it's my roommate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I open the door. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Uh, and he goes, oh. He goes, I, you know, I forgot my key. I was trying to, I didn't want to scare you. I was just trying to get your attention. I was seeing if your window was, would open so I could call your name quietly. I'm like, well, hold on. Do you remember, like, when you moved in, I said, you're living with a cop. Do you remember the little story? You know, don't sneak around the house. And then, and he said something really profound. He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, but what's funny, you know, when I, even though, you know, I grabbed my gun, but the other thing I grabbed was the phone. Why? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call for help if this thing, if I need to get some help on scene here. Um, we live in an age where you can literally pick up a phone and dial 911 and you have instant response. Okay, sometimes. We're in L.A. <laughs> it gets busy. I know. But generally, you know, someone's coming. You can pick up the phone and dial and people start coming. That is amazing. Almost, there's never really been another generation that's experienced anything like that. It's a powerful thing. And so we, there's a great sense of security with that. Now, in life, there's times things do go sideways. Uh, life does fall out from under you. There is crisis. There is tension. There's things that freak you out and stress you out, and it's a genuine emergency and you need help. And in a spiritual sense, too, you know, we can call 911, but there's something, you know, that, you know, even the people coming to answer that call, they can't handle this stuff. It's something you need to go to the Lord for. And there's times that when you cry out to the Lord, um, if you're like me at all, like, I want to be able to dial that thing, and I want God on scene, and I want him now. You know what I'm talking about? There's times in life that you just, it's like, we need him here, and we need him now. And, I, and, and that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Um, in fact, when I found out on Wednesday, when it was confirmed I was going to be speaking this week, I remember going to my office, and I just laid on my floor. I turned the lights out in the office. I just put some worship music on, clear my head, and just was before, like, what would you want people to hear this week? And so what you're going to be hearing is just stuff I've been in this week. Um, just some scriptures God's encouraged me with, because this is exactly where I'm at too. Uh, I've had the privilege of walking with some families through really some really difficult things this week, um, and we've had to just go before the Lord. So I hope this is encouraging to you as it's been for me this past week. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. We're going to be using it this morning, bouncing around to a few places. And let me start out by saying this. You know, we're going to, just the, the question we'll be answering is, what do you do when you need help? There's a, uh, uh, let me set up the story. Um, we're going to be going to uh, the book of Acts, and just, let me set the story up a little bit. This is a true story. 
uh, took place in a foreign land a long time ago. There was a king in the land. Um, this king wanted to become more popular. Um, he was trying to think of any way he could just to, to endear the people to him even more. And he knew he could do it one way. There were followers of what was called the way. And so the followers of the way were kind of out there. They've been growing. In fact, for the past 10 years, they've been growing. Their leader had come, had died, and apparently he had rose. Hundreds of people have seen him. And now the followers of the way are out there. They're going for it. Uh, the original 12 that followed this, this, uh, this leader were now out there and they're leading. They're starting these little churches and they're going. So the followers of the way were kind of exploding out there. But there's also growing tension right at the same time. And this king kind of goes center stage and he wants to gain more popularity and he can do it if he starts squashing the Christians, the followers of the way. And so what you get in this story is, is the king has this great idea. He's going to take one of the most prominent leaders of the movement. He will take him, he captures him, and he beheads him, kills him doesn't stop there the crowd goes wild so it's like an insecure actor wanting more praise from the people he gets out there he's going to go for more and so instead of just grabbing another one of the 12 he grabs the number one most visible most prominent leader he's going to kill him too that's where you go at and we're in acts chapter 12 verse 1 let's pick up the story it says this verse 1 it was about this that time that king herod Just pause. This isn't the same King Herod as the Christmas story, just so you know. Um, That King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute him. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. This is where it was most likely beheaded. That was the custom then. And he was one of the original 12 apostles. Verse 3. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, and these are obviously unbelieving Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Peter was the most visible, prominent of the Christian leaders of those original 12 disciples. So he grabs Peter. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now what's interesting, this is the 10-year anniversary of Jesus' death. Fascinating. Um, Verse 4, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now this is interesting. Just pause on that. You know, when, when Peter gets arrested... There's high security now involved because they, they had a problem. They'd arrested him once before, these apostles. This is back in chapter 5. You can read it. And they get out. So they're like, uh-uh, we're not taking any more chances. King Herod, he's winning favor with people. He's not going to let this guy escape. So what he does, there's four squads of soldiers. And often what they would do at night is they'd make sure that the soldiers would only stay on for a few short hours at a time and then rotate them out because they want their soldiers on high alert all time. So you're not trying to stay awake all night. So they'd keep switching them out. So that's where these squads of soldiers would come in. And how Peter was in prison, um, he's, he's in his cell, and on his right arm, there's these shackles, left arm, shackles. And attached to each of the shackles is a guard, a soldier. The prison doors are shut in front of him. Outside of the doors, more guards. And you're in a prison with more guards. This is high security. You see what I'm saying? Like, who puts two guards on each person's room? Like, just seems way overdone. But do you see, they don't want any chances. And the reason they have to do this, why didn't they just kill Peter right away, is because it was a holiday. 
And they couldn't, they weren't allowed to kill people on a holiday. So there was a custom. And so he had to wait till the next day. So Herod's a little irritated with that, but he's got to put the high security in there. He's got to do this stuff. And so Peter's in there. And this is where the story picks up. And it says, uh, where are we at? Verse five. Thank you all for helping me. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. You see how it kind of transports you to another place. There's a little house or somehow somewhere where the church is gathered. Peter's in prison. Know what he's doing? Sleeping. Isn't that, you're going to see that in the next verse. But isn't that kind of an odd thing? You're dead in the morning. What are your odds of making it out of this thing? Well, not good. He knows James. He and James had been together for years. And James is now gone. He's killed by the same guy. Don't you wonder if, like when Peter went to sleep, what, do you think he's just probably pondering just the times with James? But it just says something to me, too, that Peter could actually sleep in this. That's amazing to me. So, and somewhere else, you see, you probably imagine the church is gathered. They're on their knees. They're probably praying. They're stressed out. Their leaders are being picked off. One has just been killed. Now they've got their number one. Don't you think they probably wish that Peter could be in that room and help guide him through this time. But Peter's not. Peter's probably getting his head taken off in the morning. That's where the scene goes. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, I love that word, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. Now, get this. Uh, uh, We're going to give a little insight here. This huge bright light comes in. Okay, it's like the sun appears. You know, how many of you wake up when the sun hits you? Well, Peter's sleeping so hard. He doesn't wake up to that. Um, The word struck, it literally means punched. If you really look at this word means. So an angel appears. He's like, bam, like wake up. Like it's on. We're moving. Let's go. So he punches Peter. Get up quick. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Now, it doesn't tell us what the soldiers were doing. I'm dying to know that part. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. That is cool. That's one of my favorite parts of the story. You know, automatic gates back then, right. Um, And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly, just as quick as the angel came, he's gone. His job is done. The angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. That's that church, praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it, and she said, Peter's at the door. Now, this is a cool story. They're all praying. Peter's knocking at the door. They prayed for his release, and he's there. Rhoda's freaking out. It's Peter at the door. So she goes back and she tells them, hey, it's Peter at the door. What do they do? Verse 15, 
You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. It's not Peter. Uh, there's a real clear teaching in Scripture, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, that there are actual guardian angels. There's, the Lord actually has heavenly hosts that guard us and stuff. And they had a strong belief uh, as part of a custom that they'd think, well, maybe sometimes the angel could take the, the look of that person and appear. So that's probably what's going on in this, this part. They're like, well, maybe it's just his angel and it looks like him. But, you know, it's probably not Peter. Now, isn't that kind of an interesting thing? They're praying for Peter's release, but reality is so thick, they, their hearts are so heavy, they know James has been killed, it's almost unbelievable that Peter would literally be at that door. They know who here it is. It's almost unbelievable, but someone in that group must have really believed. Something must be going on. Goes on, verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. Guys, seriously, open the door, it's me, all right? Uh, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Why? Soldiers are probably running all over the place trying to figure this out. And describe how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James, now this isn't the same James that got his head cut off. This is Jesus' brother. Um, Tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left left for another place. And in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers. Yeah, I bet. As to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Herod's going to have bloodshed no matter what. I love the story. Isn't that a great story? Um, Just a couple observations. Here's the big thing. They were in crisis. It was an emergency. And in a sense, what do you do when you need help? You call God. You dial 911. You pray. You cry out to Jesus. It's simple. Now, a couple quick observations on this story. Who looks like they have the control in the story? Herod looks like he's in control. He's got Peter. It's done. Who looks the most pathetic in the story, in a sense? This group of people, you know, Peter's sleeping. He's out of it. But this group of Christians are over there praying. And if you have a picture that it looks weak, some of them are probably crying, They're probably on their knees. They're fumbling their words. Who knows what's going on? And it looks like a very weak and pathetic picture. Powerless people just crying out to God. But the moral of this story is God honored that. Something supernatural happened in response to that prayer. That when you call on God, there's something real that happens. Something supernatural. That's powerful. You call God. Now, you might be in here this morning. You just might need to be reassured that no matter what your situation is, you seem helpless, it seems out of your control completely, and you just need to be reminded that it's time to get on your knees. You call God. You cry out to Jesus. Because you feel like, I've tried everything else. That's all I can do. Well, that's a great place. Don't ever get into the place. It's so easy to do. Where you just feel like this is pathetic. Like, what am I doing? It seems ridiculous. I'm talking. I don't, the Lord's not answering. I don't know. Is this? It just feels weak. But it's our greatest place of strength. Be encouraged from this story. Um, do you realize that the Bible even says that there's times that you ever been in these times like you try to pray and you just don't have words. You don't know how to pray. You don't even have the words to pray. You ever been in a place like that? Do you know the Bible says that everybody goes through that? It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. 
If you're a seminary professor or Christian of 20 years, everybody goes through that. That's Romans 8.26. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. We don't even know what to pray or how we should pray. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit can take all that emotion. Maybe your most powerful tears are just as you're in silence because you're overcome with emotion. He can take uh, those most tender times as your tears hit the pillow. He can translate all that emotion into the most articulate prayer. He stands with you in that time. That's a powerful picture. The key scripture, I think, in this this little passage is verse 5, and the church was gathered together and praying. Now, isn't that typical of the Bible? It just says, so-and-so is praying. You don't usually get the prayers listed out. Don't you wish you could hear what they prayed? It's just fascinating. The Bible doesn't usually give it. It just says that they prayed. We'd probably take it and make a code out of it. Yeah, this is how you do it. 25 things you should do to pray. Um, But a lot of times, you know, Jesus gave a model prayer. There's just a few times you hear prayers, but a lot of times you don't. The idea is just this. Don't freak out about the method. Get on your knees and be pure and talk to God. Just do that stuff. Um, Another interesting observation is that sometimes answers do come supernaturally. Don't be afraid to ask for that. Ask God for the big things. Now, Pastor Mike's on vacation. He was sitting on a beach over in Italy, and, you know, you know, Mike was praying. I know, hard to believe. I know. Uh, this is a joke, you guys. You're okay. Relax. Deep breath. <laughs> he's on the beach. He's praying, and he's like, Lord, I, I feel like asking a big, big prayer request. You know, can I ask you something big? Would you answer that? And he felt like the Lord saying, yeah, I'll answer that. And he says, well, Lord, you know, this vacation stuff is so amazing. I, you know, when I go back home, could you build a bridge that goes from Malibu to Hawaii because I would really like to go anytime I want. The Lord says, do you understand the engineering difficulty of what you're asking me? You know how much concrete and steel? Do you understand what you're asking? Ask for something else. Come on now. And so Mike goes, okay, well, could you at least make me as smart and funny and handsome as Dave Cox? And, uh, <laughs> and the Lord says, well, do you want a two-lane bridge or a four-lane bridge? Come on. <laughs> All right, pray for me. Mike will be back next week. You know, I just got to give the guy a hard time, you know, please. Um, back to the real point. Uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're at a place and, and you need to pray, there's a point in the story where God does supernaturally answer. He can do that. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes we just need to be reminded like a story like this. So it's one of those places, let's just be on our knees before the Lord. Let's ask God. Just trust him. He's big enough. Even if you don't have a lot of faith, take whatever you've got. And you say, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to ask you. Don't ever be afraid to ask. Is there anything that we could do to mess up our prayer? There's probably several things. You know, the most simple would be if you want to block anything, just not pray. You know what James 4 says? You have not. Why? Because you don't ask. Just ask. That's probably the biggest thing. If you're not getting an answer, ask the Lord. An- another key one would be selfishness. James 4.3 says, if you ask and you don't receive, you've asked with wrong motives. If your motives are off, God can't respond to that. It's like a binocular. You have the front lens and the back lens. And you've got to turn that little dial in the middle until they even up. That's like our motives coming in line with God. Because it's real easy to pray and say, God, change my situation. Change all these things. Fix this. Make this happen. But sometimes God wants us to be dealing with even more core things. Change my response to what's happening, Lord. Change my perspective. Um, it's one thing if your family's going sideways. Pray for my wife. Pray for my kids. 
Uh, especially if it's just out of <laughs> something where you just want it better for yourself. It's like, is that love or is that for your own self? Just check your motives as you start going through this stuff because the Lord needs to purify us. But just check your motives. And I'll just give you one more. There's, there's a lot more in your homework you could look at. But unconfessed sin. That's Isaiah 59. It says, Your iniquities or your sins have separated you from God. And He has hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. It's a powerful verse. That just means when you pray, be right. Be right with God. Would you ever imagine asking your neighbor to borrow a lawnmower, for example? Man, he just gets a brand new one, a sit-down one. What better? Sit down while you mow your lawn. That's amazing. So you're like, I'll go and see if I can borrow his lawnmower. Now, would you ever do this? You see his little dog in the front yard. Little, it, picture it. Just, let's say it's a little chihuahua. Barking like a banshee. You know, one of those irritating, barking, just going crazy, but it starts biting. You know, biting his leg and chomping on him. And he feels the teeth and the, the little tongue and all that stuff. And it, you realize, man, that looks kind of like, that's the color and shape of a football. And like in one smooth, fluid motion, bam, like through the goalpost, he launched the dog. This is a fake story. Don't, I know, it looks scary. So just, I'm just giving you an example. But he kicks it. Now, and if the neighbor was watching right at the same moment, do you think that friend, that he'd go to his friend and say, hey, oh, by the way, do you mind if I borrow your lawnmower? You know, he'd have to fix that relationship, right? You have to fix that and the dog. But you fix the relationship. Um, in the same way, you can't just, in a sense, be kicking God and at the same time feel like you can just go and ask him for whatever. Just be right. Just be pure in those things. Now, does God always move and answer supernaturally instantly? We know he doesn't. In fact, Acts chapter tell. 12 that has this amazing story also tells us that James didn't get the answer. In fact, he was beheaded. So I don't know. There's mystery in this whole thing. So what, what's our response though? In, in trouble, you call God. Now what if there seems just to be no answer? Heaven is silent. What do you do then? You call back. You keep calling. You keep praying. You keep crying out. You know, I want to, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read this real quickly. It's a quick little story that Jesus gave that teaches this. Teaches us to keep praying. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. All right. Chapter 18. There we go. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Now, Jesus, it's telling why Jesus told the story. Here's the moral tells a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Underline that. That's the point of this story. And he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. So the salty, hard-boiled character, crusty guy. Um, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. The, the word widow, it literally means this whole idea of being forsaken or left empty. And in the society then, um, they really almost had no rights. Bottom of the social structure. It, they, they're the people who, if anyone a judge should stick up for, it's them because they're helpless. So verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, well, I'm going to see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming whole idea of wearing me out. It's like a boxer wearing down his opponent. So do you see this judge? He doesn't care about her. He doesn't even want to listen to her. But what's he going to do? He'll answer her so she shuts up. You get that? Go away. Like, okay, fine. Here, go. And he sends her off. Um, 
And the Lord said, well, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will underline this. Will he find faith on the earth? The Lord obviously wants us to believe even when there's no answer. The parable is what's known as a parable of contrast. It's not saying that God is like the unjust judge. He's saying if, even if there was an unjust judge, how much more would a God who absolutely loves you and cares for you answer your prayers? What's the moral of the story? Keep praying and do not give up. What if you've been praying for an entire week? You have no sense of answer. Well, you keep praying and you don't give up. What if it goes for a month? Well, then you keep praying and you don't give up. That month will turn into a year. You keep praying and you do not give up. Some of you have probably been praying in here for 20 years or more for something. You just need to know. You keep praying and do not give up. The Lord's looking for, if he'd say something in verse 8, will he find faith on the earth? Can you even be in a place where you can keep trusting God for an answer? You might just need to hear, keep praying and don't give up. Now, I don't know why God always delays. The Bible gives us little snapshots, little hints along the way. Um, You know one reason sometimes he doesn't answer right away? Uh, Because you need to be prepared for the answer. Sometimes we need that. We're not ready for it. You know, sometimes we want to ask God for something, but he wants to do it greater or bigger. But part of being greater or bigger is changing us in that process. Um, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Um, You know, I prayed for so many years to get married. So many years. Um, and I used to, I was like, Lord, would you please answer that? And I look back now, it's like, I'm glad for the season I had just to mature in those years and what God did. I'm still a little bitter. I'll be honest about that. I did want to get married early, but, um, but it, you know, those times like, like you can have a little perspective after something happens, but you have situations too. You can look back and see where you had to wait for something. God said, that's good to wait. That's okay. Sometimes we need to be prepared for the answer. You know, prayer changes things, but a lot of times prayer changes us. And there's this whole perspective. We think a lot of times we're waiting on God to answer the prayer. He may be waiting for us to change. Very fascinating. Um, What's another reason we might not get an answer? Because you need to focus your life. Maybe you need to focus your life. Um, Do you know nothing gets your attention as much as a prayer that's not answered? You ever notice that? That's like, you know... All of a sudden, everything else stops and you've got attention because you're praying probably like you've never prayed. You're on your knees more consistently than you've ever been. And especially if your life has been out of focus so long, there may be seasons of life that God needs to just get us on our knees to remember who's important and what's most important, where a quick answer may have been something we could have really enjoyed and received and we've gone off and we live just like we've always lived. So there's times that God may need us just to have time to focus. Psalm 105, verse 4, look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always, even when it's quiet. You always seek, even when God doesn't answer when you snap your fingers. He doesn't have to. You seek his face always.
Maybe he needs to focus your life. I'll give you one more. Why would we have a delay in an answer to prayer? Because you may have spiritual interference. Spiritual interference. Now, what is this? You know that God sometimes, as he tests our faith, there's a very real clear teaching in Scripture that this is a supernatural thing as well. There's a real spiritual battle. So as God tests our faith, Satan may be contesting our faith. The enemy, challenging. Ephesians chapter 6, I want you to listen to this verse. It says, For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. That's weird. Okay, you get that? There's mystery behind those words. Seems clear he's referring to different rankings of demonic spirits. The Bible teaches that God created a multitude, number upon number, of angels, powerful creatures, different from people, created before we were created. The Bible clearly teaches that the most powerful of all angels turned away from God. He fell, and with him a third of the angels went. We now have things called demons. Demons are fallen angels, forever sealed against God. And so is there a real cosmic or spiritual battle that goes on? Absolutely. Is God ever threatened about being overthrown by Satan? No, he's all-powerful. They have limited power. But in some way, there's a very real and intense spiritual battle that goes on. So it's a real thing that this is talking about. So this even says in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. Verse 18 said, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. So in chapter 6 of Ephesians, when it says, Hey, there's a real spiritual battle. It gives a very clear teaching that in the midst of anything, especially spiritual battle, especially, you know, when we are praying and we don't know what's going on in an unseen world, we keep praying because for some reason, God has set this thing up where he has angels. He allows demons some access and our prayers have some kind of response to that, make some kind of difference in it. So it says to always keep on praying. Now, don't you wish you could see what's going on on the other side? Like, what does this world look like? Um, I'm a curious guy. I'd love to see a movie on this thing. I want to see angels. I want to see what the real picture of this looks like. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about it. But it does pull the curtain back in one little sneaky spot. You want to go there? It's in Daniel chapter 10. Turn your Bible. Daniel 10. This is a fascinating little story. Daniel's a prophet. I won't go into the whole thing. But he's praying to God to give a clear teaching so he can give the people a prophecy about what the nation can expect. That's the, the, the shortest little version I can give you of this. So he's praying in response to God, and as he prays, the Lord sends an angel to talk to him. And the angel's going to tell him about this prophecy. The prophecy's in really chapter 11 and 12. But chapter 10 hovers around, and the angel tells him why his prayer has been delayed. Now, here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, whose name uh, is also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. Uh, The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, this is the prophecy he's talking about in 11 and 12. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all, 
until three weeks were over. So do you see, he was praying, going before God, fasting, not eating food, not using lotion on his arms, praying, interceding, asking on behalf of the nation of Israel. So this is one of those times where he's, and just so you know, the the enemy started coming in again. It was a tense time again in the nation. So what's he do? He prays. He's in crisis. He's calling God. God's not answering. What's he doing? Calling back. Keeps praying. Keeps crying out. And then this is what happens. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of a great river, the Tigris. I looked up, and there before me was a man, the angel, dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his legs and his arms gleamed of burnished bronze, and his voice the sound of a multitude. Daniel was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me didn't see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Now get this. He sees this amazing image. Now nobody else sees it. His buddies are with him, but they know something's up, and they're freaking out, and they're gone. Daniel sees it, and he faints. Verse 8. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and I listened, and I fell into a deep sleep, my face on the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I've now been sent to you. And he said this to me. I stood up trembling. Then he continued. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Underline that. Your words were heard. There's just a pause on this thing. It's fascinating. How long had he been praying? 21 days. Day number one when he prayed, what's the Bible say? Your words were heard. That's encouraging. Even when you're not getting an answer, Daniel clearly teaches, the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Your words were heard. Fascinating. Okay, off we go. Uh, What verse are we on? Help me out. There we are, verse 12. Okay, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, now just so you know, this is a demonic spirit, resisted me. How many days? 21 days. The same time that Daniel was praying. It's a spiritual battle. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. It's fascinating. He's saying that Michael is one of the chief angels. There's only a couple angels mentioned in the Bible. Michael is one of them. In relation to the nation of Israel, Michael always shows up. He's a powerful, warring angel. So this angel, we know that this vision he's seeing is, is most likely not God. It's not what's called a theophany, where God appears. This is most likely an angel, because does God have to struggle against an angel? Trust me, it's God. He can be gone. So this angel saying, I struggled, I struggled. And 21 days later, Michael comes in, one of the chief like most powerful angels, and he helps me fight and resist this demon over the print of Persia. It's a bizarre scripture. Fascinating, though. Verse 14, Now I have to come to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man, this is a ministering angel, touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. 
he was exhausted. Sometimes prayer is exhausting, just FYI. Battling spiritually can be exhausting. Verse 18, and again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Don't be afraid, O man, highly esteemed. Peace, be strong. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, you've, since you've given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I've come to you? Soon I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. He's going to go back to the spiritual battle. It's fascinating. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. It seems like there's going to be more interference. Another demon. But first I tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. Michael's that powerful angel. And I, and in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, even if you don't get everything that's going on in here, the, the moral of the story is there are real angels, there's real demons. In our daily lives, there's real spiritual struggle over how we live. The enemy does not want us to live for Christ. He wants us to be discouraged. Somehow, there's, he tempts us. The Lord inspires us. But there's some very real spiritual struggle going on. And all we know from Ephesians 6 is that we are to pray and not give up. We keep praying because we can explain what goes on in a spiritual sense. We do know the Bible says if someone's not a believer, you pray that the Lord opens their eyes so that they can see. Spiritual blindness because it's a spiritual battle. So just because you're seeing a life that's turned sideways, you may not have ever have the, enough words to say something to change somebody. There's something spiritual going on as well. So we pray. And we keep praying. So if you're praying and you're in a spot, just know the Lord may be trying to get your attention, maybe focusing your life, or you may just have straight out spiritual warfare at play. And even though we don't talk about it a lot, it's such a true reality in Scripture that it's got to be a clear thing in our mind. We don't focus on the warfare. We focus on Jesus. And we keep praying and keep trusting him. That's where our focus goes when we pray. So I hope today you come in here and you're encouraged to do one thing. If you're in trouble, what do you do? Call help. If you don't get an answer, what do you do? Call back. Real easy. It's not a hard message today, right? Good. Bow your heads. Let's pray. In fact, what I'm going to invite the band to do is come on up. We're going to we're going to sing a worship song. But, you know, it's easy to talk about prayer, but let's just pray right now. In fact, you're going to get just a few minutes just to respond to the Lord. And I just want you to, if you think of whatever's going on right now. Do you have something that you've been praying for? Is heaven silent? Are you going into a crisis? Or are you just coming out of a crisis? Then you pray. Are your prayers being blocked? Maybe you have unconfessed sin. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ. You've got to start with that. You ask him to come into your life. Maybe your motives are off. Just check your heart. But when those things are clear, sometimes heaven will still seem silent, but you keep praying. And both these scriptures, in Luke 18 and Daniel chapter 10 and um, even Acts chapter 12, they all emphasize that they had faith. They believed in their Lord. Even when you don't see the circumstances changing, the Lord honors people who trust him. So I'm just going to ask you to trust the Lord this morning. Let's trust the Lord as a church. And ask you if you want to be praying. Um, I'd invite you to come here and just kneel. We're only going to do this for like four minutes as we sing a song. But cry out to the Lord. If you're a leader, if you're on staff, you're a life group leader, or an elder, pastor, whatever, 
Feel free, you can come and pray with people. Let's just be the church. Just have a couple minutes. But let's just not talk about these verses. Let's just do this for a few minutes. So go ahead and just dim the lights. I'm going to pray. Then you just come forward if you'd like. We'll stand with you in prayer. Well, Father, we just thank you that um, we don't always have the words, but we have the Lord who knows the words. We have the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us. So we ask you this morning, would you lead and guide and comfort your people? And Father, we say, even though we're overwhelmed, you're never overwhelmed. And I ask you, that you, Lord, would encourage and comfort the body of Christ this morning as we stand with you, Lord. We look to you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. And so even lead us now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God, we can be the church. Thank you that we can gather and we can exalt your name, Lord. Thank you that one of the most powerful places we could ever be is on our knees, humbling ourselves before you, Lord, calling the, that all of heaven would be unleashed, Lord, for your purposes and for your glory. So, Father, I just stand um, and pray on behalf of um, this church, on behalf of the people that are in this room, Lord. Would you stand with them this week? Would you purify our hearts, Lord? Would we trust you? Would we believe in you? Would you help focus our lives, Lord? Thank you for the things in our lives that you cause us to trust you more deeply, to focus our eyes. And Father, we pray also there's a real spiritual battle. So would you protect this church, Lord, in Jesus' name? Would you protect everyone in this room, Lord, against the schemes of the enemy to destroy? We just ask you, Lord, that you would unleash your life, uh, your love, um, into each of our lives, Lord. So wake us up, Lord. Wake us up spiritually. New levels of prayer. New desires to be with you. So we pray that you would unleash that this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to worship with you guys. Isn't it good to be the church this morning? Isn't that good? Let me just give you uh, a scripture as you leave. This is Hebrews chapter 4. Because you may be in here, especially if you've kind of been feeling disconnected from the Lord for a little while. Um, Go for it this week. Like, don't hold back. Hebrews 4, um, and it says this in verse 16, Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence. So that we may receive mercy. And we can find grace to help us in our time of need. So I hope you do that this week. And let's be a church that stands with each other. You know, look around you. There's others in this room that need your support. Stand with them. Hold their arms up. Encourage them. And we'll see you guys next week. Bless you guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.